Hey there, everyone. Uh, this is Thomas Green. And this is Alex Stewart. And welcome to Movies After Work. We are back after a long time. This is going to be a little bit different of an episode. We are going to be not talking about any specific movies. We're going to be talking about the world as it is and why we've been gone for a little bit. Uh, but we did not want to do that alone. So with us today is Nick from Black Girls Do Stuff Too. Yay! We finally got her on the show. Yes, dream to fill. I'm just checking off my 2020 bucket list. <laughs> uh, now, for the nobody that doesn't already listen to your amazing show, that listens to our show, can you tell them about yours? Yes, Black Girls Do Stuff 2 uh, was started really as a way for me and my cousin Tiffany to talk about things where we didn't see ourselves represented, so comic book discussions, movies that didn't necessarily have black people in it when they bring all the black people want to talk about stuff um you know and then i am a food blogger she's a knitter we like pop culture lifestyle so we really talk about a lot of it but it's heavy on movies and tv and it's fantastic it's um yeah it's it's just a fantastic show i mean my my favorite episode will probably forever be uh the Thirst episode with M from Verbal <laughs> Diorama. I don't know if I'm ever going to laugh as hard as I did listening to that episode. And of course, it spurned my uh, my lifelong goal of, of getting you and Chris Evans together. So uh, he's not single anymore. I don't I don't wish to discuss him at this moment. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um, but yeah, we we really wanted to have. Um, have you? We've been wanting to have you on for a while, um, and we'll certainly be having you back under more positive um, and more uh, happy and, and and silly yeah. circumstances. Uh, but we, you know, as as we talked about with you coming on the show, we we chose purposely to take ourselves off the air. Um, around the time that the uh, the protests had begun because uh, we felt, especially given that it's a show about two, you know, straight white guys that, that sitting there trying to promote ourselves during that time didn't, didn't feel right, didn't sit right with us. Um, no, you know, absolutely no judgment to anybody who did continue to do it, especially during these times of quarantine, doing what you you need to do to pass your time and, and to keep your spirits up. Absolutely. Um, but we spoke on it ourselves cause we, we literally, the, the next day we were supposed to be recording an episode on Joker oh, wow. and <laughs> I literally, yeah, I literally called Alex and said, I, this, I think we should, should postpone the show for a while even if we don't, we definitely need to make sure we don't do Joker. That would be like the one of the yeah. most in worst taste movies for us to be doing right now. Yeah, the uh, content wouldn't be appropriate. For, yeah, yeah, for the time. Yeah, and we, I mean, we agreed that it just the yeah, the, there really wasn't a, a a direction that we felt we could go during the protests that would be appropriate. I mean, obviously, the, the protests are still going on. There are still many, many people that um, whose murderers have not been brought to justice that 
this needs to change with. Um, but, but again, like we talked about, you know, you get to a, you do get to a point where for, for the sake of your own sanity, especially during quarantine, a certain semblance of, of normality has to, to come back into place. But we knew, we knew we wanted to come back in this way. We didn't want to just come back in with a bunch of juvenile humor and, and talking about, you know, some random movie that, that we both sat and watched on Netflix and then wanted to come on here to complain about, you know, yeah. we want, we wanted to talk about what's been going on. And, um, I know I spoke with, I spoke with you, um, and a couple other people, including our good friend Colby, um, about, about a month ago about the best way to return um, mm-hmm. the most appropriate way to return and, you know, having, having a viewpoint that's not similar to ours was resoundingly the, the way to go. And it's something we had talked about, but we obviously wanted feedback before we made any official decisions. So again, right. <laughs> we're, we're really great to have you here. Um, it's it's a somber reason to be having you here, but um, but an important one to be sure. Thank yeah. you so much for inviting me. I, I um, love you guys as well. I didn't get to interject that in your intro, but I love you guys. No worries. Um, I feel like in my Twitter click of like besties, you guys are definitely in there. And so it's like I hold you guys near too in my heart. Um, and everything you said, you know, uh, before we get into it, I just want to say what I told you in DMs, which was. I appreciate you doing this because it's not required. It's not necessary. Um, well, I won't say it's not necessary, but it's not required. And a lot of people wouldn't. They'd be like, okay, I waited enough time. I'm back. Like, I, I want to kind of brush my hands with it now. Like, I, I did my performative allyship, and now I can, like, walk away. Yeah. And so I really appreciate, you know, not only having the, the wherewithal to think of doing something like this, but then to consult people whose voices, this impacts and things like that, it, it is really great to see that, um, including people in the solution you're trying to bring in to, for them, you know, so thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, I think it would have been in poor taste if we came back like nothing was different and the world wasn't radically different right now and we were just like, hey, would you think a Trolls World Tour? Like, <laughs> and, you know, I, yeah. I think this is I think this is good, and I, I don't think our fans are so ravenous that they missed us that much for, for that time, but I hope <laughs> the people who would have taken the time to listen to us, mm-hmm. you know, took an hour or two out of their day to listen to your podcast or listen to someone with a different perspective or mm-hmm. on a different topic or educated themselves. I think, you know, us all sitting around, you know, most of us stuck in quarantine, most mm-hmm. of us, you know, missing our friends or missing content that we might typically be consuming i think a lot of people have had the chance to educate themselves and like i know even for myself you know i always considered myself you know an an ally but i think you know there there's i have real information that i didn't have even Mm -hmm. a month or two ago and i think that's true for a lot of people Mm -hmm. yeah definitely agree it's that's the that's like you know there's a good and a bad side of of the age we live in with social media, but, um, having, having real education, that's not a part of a program and a message that a very specific group of people want you to have. 
it's it's accessible to everyone now, and that's that's awesome. Yeah, and I mean it's it's one of those things where, um, you know, we have to you know for for people like Alex and myself, we have to the a very important first step for us is it, it admitting when we just can't relate fully and truly in 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 a way that that matters um you know that like i can you know i, I know i can easily think of a, a handful of different moments in my life that you know are absolutely white privilege moments and i can absolutely um i i have no problem admitting that i i there's no way i haven't benefited even if i don't realize it um and so yeah i'm sorry i was just gonna say i mean it literally can even just range to you know there were moments I went to a performing arts college and the amount of times where um, people of color or, you know, girls for, for certain things, women for certain things, um, or whatever, would sit there in like a classical, th- you know, the amount of, the, every single classmate I had that was a person of color in our classical theater classes would just shrug and go, I'm never going to get hired for any of this stuff, so what does it matter? Mm-hmm. And at, at, the, at the time, it just didn't, reg- you know, it registered as this sucks, or, you know, like, we just need to find people who don't agree with them and will hire them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, like, it's one of the things that I love the most when Hamilton came out. Mm-hmm. is yeah. not just the fact that they casted pe- people in roles that they normally wouldn't. What I really liked was watching it happen and seeing the reaction happening in the world really made me realize the level of which what they were saying and the weight mm-hmm. of it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was aware of what they were talking about, but... To see to see the influx of positivity about what Hamilton did helped me come cl- as close as I think I'm ever going to be able to to understand truly what they were dealing, you know, what they were emotionally dealing with internally. Um, it you know, it's still like I you know one of my favorite TV shows is uh, Spin City, the old mm-hmm. Michael J. Fox show. They, and I think their second season, or maybe late in their first, they did an episode where Michael Boatman's character, who was, you know, gay, he was black, he was only one of two black people in the cast, um, and he's out running for, like, a a Stay Healthy initiative, is, you know, an employee of the, of the state of, or the city of New York, Mm -hmm. and he gets arrested for no reason whatsoever. And I, you know, it's so important the amount of shows that will show, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or or Blackish or any of these shows that show this stuff happening Mm -hmm. is so, is so important. What I, 
really appreciated about the Spin City episode is how uncomfortable it can make me even to this day feel because unlike those other shows Michael Boatman's character doesn't have friends and family that can relate to what's happened to him that he can be talking to throughout the episode he is perpetually surrounded by people even like Michael J. Fox's character who you're supposed to love who just don't get it mm-hmm. and it's such a reflection of having to like see that reality thrown in our face even back in the 90s when this episode aired yeah it's it's um it's funny because you know you look back on tv shows i know i look back on tv shows i loved when i was like a kid i used to visit um my cousins here in the states and i would just like eat up sitcoms and things like it was awesome to me and so i remember seeing these um these themes and in shows and you know, art of any form has always been political since its conception. Um, and it, it's just funny to me because, you know, now you'll get people saying, oh, I don't want to see that stuff on TV. Oh, it's because everybody's so soft now. You will see all these things. And I'm like, no, always. Look back. Like, yeah. look at anything you love. It, it, yeah. it, it's centered around a message, you know? Um, and that episode did a great job of showing it from that because a lot of times you would only get that on quote unquote black TV shows. And so Spin City was one where, um, you know, he was a character on the show, but it wasn't made for a specific audience like that was just the TV show, you know, whenever something's geared towards whatever it's an X TV show. So it was just like a TV show geared towards the majority and they covered it and they gave it a perspective that you wouldn't necessarily be able to get, uh, for a show that was not created solely to be like a black sitcom, you know, so they did a great job with that one. Yeah, and they, I mean, they have the that moment in the the third act uh, between Michael Boatman and Michael J. Fox's character, where Michael Boatman tells the joke with that punchline, and the fact that they don't hide, you know, they don't bleep it, they don't avoid it, they don't anything, they just keep the camera dead on him while he looks him dead in the eyes and says it. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. just, it's like, it's that final moment of like, if we're about to get to the like, the message of this, so if you haven't gotten to where you need to feel yet, we are going mm-hmm. to force you there. Mm-hmm. In this yeah. moment, and I, I, you know, I really, to this day, just continue to apply, it's one of, it, to me, it's one of their best episodes of that series. Yeah, I just wish in general TV shows were as good as they were back then. I'm a I'm a TV I'm a TV snob like TV whore. So I love TV. I told you guys you guys let me in film Twitter, but I'm really TV Twitter. Like that's really where I belong. Oh, we 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 could spend a disturbing amount of time on that to be sure. <laughs> but um, yeah. So I mean. The, the, the question for us at this point, um, you know, obvi- I mean, I know for myself, and I, I don't try to speak for Alex too much on our Twitter feed, but I, I know for myself I've been very uh, open and honest about how I feel about everything that's going on. I stand with the protesters. I, um, I've been for, at bare minimum, demilitarizing the police since Ferguson. Um, 
which unfortunately that be that that whole event really was the beginning of the new norm of everything. We went from the 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 anomaly treat feel treating it like an anomaly like Rodney King and then officially with the new digital age Ferguson became the new norm. Um and it's just it's so insane that um the people who have been experiencing this have been saying it forever. Yeah. And it's been largely ignored. And then when it's brought to the front and to the public through social media and having your cell phone and posting it somewhere, um, the the new thing now is to figure out, oh, well, where's the whole video? <laughs> As if anything could have yeah. justified that. You know, where's the whole video? Or maybe you don't know the whole story or yeah. whatever. And that just goes to show you that people who feel a certain way, a lot of times it's not due to ignorance or a, a lack of information it's a choice that it is absolutely a choice um, I, and we try i think a lot of times we try to um, make excuses like we'll say oh this is a mental disease oh they're just ignorant people know they they know exactly what they're doing at this point and so i'd rather not I, i'm from you know i consider myself a southerner my mom's from the south even though i didn't necessarily grow up um in the south but like i said the thing about the south is at least you know <laughs> you know, like you go to, you know, you know where you should go, you know where you shouldn't go, you know. Um, and it's harder in the greater world because even within liberal bubbles, you're you're not exempt from things, you know. And so I think that um, as as more people are aware now, and it's become sort of a trend, whether or not it stays around, at least while it's a trend, I hope that uh, long lasting changes can happen because it's out there now and so you have to take a stand one side or the other you really can't be in the middle anymore yeah yeah i think i think you you hit on something there where you were saying you know even you know even myself who you know i very much consider myself liberal i try to you know have as much openness and love in my heart for everyone you know Mm -hmm. but no one is absolved of or, or free of unconscious bias and, mm-hmm. and it's your responsibility to you know check yourself like why am I thinking this why did I act a certain way when I approached this person like you you're you're not completely free of that you need to you know you need to accept that you thought about it or behaved a certain way and just reassess it and mm-hmm learn from it and, and try to grow and be a better person yeah fully agree like I, I even check myself at times like I've always been a person of, of love and acceptance of every type of person I was raised um, and, I, and I still am I was raised Christian but I was raised more conservative and so there's a lot of things where while I've never hated anyone or anything like that if I didn't understand something I'd be like but why <laughs> you know and I, I figured out that I could come across like kind of ignorant and I was like okay let me at, let me actually ask people or talk to people and educate myself because like you said no one no matter what you go through or what side of your is your own if you're oppressed if you're an oppressor everybody is subject to having a bias against something just like you said so yeah I definitely like agree with that and just just hope that people are willing to do the work because that's what's really going to change things right like once you realize oh wait maybe Maybe I am a little biased about this. Let me see how that bias 
may have affected other people and try to, you know, fix all of that. So. Yeah. And it's also, it's, there's a, there's a practice what you preach mentality. Uh, Cause there's very much been the, the, the whole thing of, you know, trying to make the people trying to make the excuse of, Oh, it's just a few bad apples when it comes to the police. Um, and then people correctly pointing out that either a the expression is is a bad apple spoils the bunch, yeah. um, but pointing out that you you know being complicit by not reporting someone doing something wrong it, it is is at best bare you know just under as as bad as what they've done yeah uh, and yeah. I, and I think that goes for, you know, you know, if, if you're, you know, if you're standing at somewhere and somebody's getting harassed because of who they are, allowing it to happen is, is being complicit. If you're a member of a religious community or, or a business, you know, a business or anything, and you're allowing members of that community to behave in a certain way without calling them out on it. Um, mm -hmm. you're, Say you're that one more complete. time for the religious people. My wife and I have had multiple conversations about this um, because she is part of the religious community and she, you know, she'll talk about it, like, you know, we, you know, sh I'll, she'll tell me like oh yeah my when we're all talking on like either our group chats or in like bible studies and stuff like that we'll talk about how we don't agree with what what you know joel olstein is doing or something of that nature and i tell her like it's that's just preaching to the choir you have to like go out there it's other people yeah like, you it's, you have it's easy to, yeah it, it's easy to it, believe that you're doing enough when you're talking to people who already agree with what you think yeah, yeah. right like you're like okay i have done my part i have a group of people we're not like everybody else but you gotta get outside of your circle and stand up for people out there you know who need a voice and and the people who are being you know extremely ignorant in whatever way they're being ignorant yeah so, and and we saw some of that with with film Twitter, um, with the film Twitter community. There, there are some people that um, I no longer associate with on there because of their views, and I, I knew about them because other people in the film Twitter community were were spreading the information about how they behave, how they talk, how they treat other people. Um, but on the the other side of that coin, it also helped introduce me to more people in film Twitter mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that I share beliefs, interests, and, and, and common goals with. So it's, you know, it, it feels like it's just about a divide, but it, it also brings um, people, you know, brings people together that might not necessarily be part of the normal circle. Um, yeah. And I, I know for us that's a, that's a big part of what we're trying to do for for us with movies after work as a whole going forward. You know, it's it's a lot about us um, holding ourselves more accountable, uh, making sure that we've got a little bit more variety in the movies mm -hmm. that we're talking about, making sure that 
um, you know, if we were to do something like The Five Bloods, that it's not mm-hmm. just the two of us talking about it, because mm-hmm. we are, that's leaving a, a whole very important factor out uh, of, of, the, of the observations of the film that we, that we can't provide. Um, you know, it, it's looking at how people are represented in movies and, mm-hmm. and calling more attention to that because, I mean, like for myself, I grew up in a small town that had a five screen theater. And mm-hmm. while I obviously can't speak for anyone but my own personal observations, when you get something like Tyler Perry Medea movies, going to a small town that doesn't have a lot of screens and already mm-hmm. has people that are fairly racist. They, if they go, if they, for some reason go in and watch that movie, they're going to come out with Medea having confirmed some of their negative mm-hmm. views on people. Mm-hmm. Um, and sad, whereas sadly movies like Moonlight, they're not going to that theater. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to end up in that theater. Nobody's going to accidentally walk in there, watch the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so also, you know, that's another part of it for us. Um, you know, taking the movies that we're watching and really asking ourselves, like, how are they representing, you know, this is written and directed by a white straight male. How is he representing all the characters that aren't that in this movie? Mm-hmm. Um, so all that's important. I, and then I know for, for both of us out, outside of the show, um, you know, we each, we each have a toddler that, you know, making sure they're exposed to, mm-hmm. to a better variety is, is important. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Skype me anytime. They can talk to Auntie Nick anytime. I love kids. <laughs> oh, I guarantee you my, my daughter would have a blast. She would spend the entire time, <laughs> she would spend the entire time, like, yelling your name to get your attention and then making you watch as she brought each one of her toys over one by one to show you. She loves to show off her toys. That's that's one of her favorite things. But but yeah, I know like with my daughter, uh, you know, she watches Doc McStuffins, which um, you know, it's it's not her just watching a little girl that looks like her on a TV show. Uh, you know, having her watch things like Moana, Big Hero Six, um, Coco. Coco. I yeah. I try to shove Coco down her throat. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, having having her watch that variety, mm-hmm. so that way, you know, when she's out, you know, when she goes out into the world, she's not fascinated in the wrong ways. When she sees people yeah. that don't look like her, yeah. Uh, and I think with all parents, uh, regardless of your child's age, there's that accountability exists um, to make sure that you're helping expose them to to a larger world. Yeah, I um. So I don't have children. Um, hopefully, twenty twenty doesn't curse me with that too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Well, stick you know, to the quarantine, you should be fine. <laughs> That's all I don't have. Well, no, I am quarantining. You already know my struggles with quarantining. I've posed questions many times. Um, but I, I I like to read up on things. I have a niece that I, I love and 
two nieces that I've had. One I had like her first six months of her life, so I was kind of a mom at that point. And um, you know, I was reading that children, like as early as like six or nine months or something like that, they begin to be able to say, okay, this is. They might not know black and white, but they can just see by race, you know. And by two years old or maybe even younger, they can make assumptions about people because of their race. And so, you know, people say it's too early to expose my child to X, Y, Z. But I know part of that comes from a place of, like, parents are protective, you know, whatever. Um, they, they don't want to expose their kids too early. But they, it takes it doesn't take into consideration the fact that people of color's kids get exposed to that stuff very early. Yeah. You know, it, whether it's from recognizing people or, you know, multi, at least two different races or even experiencing some of the bias, mm-hmm. even from adults as, as little babies, you know, because of, of their color. So it's not too, it's never too early. And it, it definitely helps to create more well-rounded individuals. Yeah. Absolutely agree. It's like you touched on this earlier with, um, shows being considered like black shows or movies mm-hmm. being considered black movies mm-hmm. like white movies like we don't call anything white movies because mm-hmm. they're they're expected to be you know uh, consumable by by the widest the widest possible audience mm-hmm. yeah there's a standard it's standard mm-hmm. and, and I feel like that's you know you can definitely fall into that trap with like children's programming and and things like that, you know, you will have no problem expo- exposing a black child to, you know, wh- uh, like, white children's programming, but mm-hmm. it's harder in, in the reverse. Right. Um, I mean, I think even, like, you know, I, I, my son and I watch, like, superhero girls, and I think even that is, is you know, important, because, like, it's just... It's good for him to identify that there are strong women. Like women can be strong too; they can be good heroes too. Um, and you know, I need to do a better job of probably exposing him to more things like that. But um, yeah, I mean, that, those things are important. Mm-hmm. And I would like to go a step further to the point where we just don't call it black movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. Um, we've talked about that before in our show. Like, like we get it; it's standard, but. A rom-com is a rom-com. Like, it doesn't have to be a black rom-com or a black horror movie. It's, I mean, in the case of the only thing I would consider genre-specific is something like Get Out is for everybody, but Get Out, I could say, because the horror was specific to who it was affecting. So, yeah, in that case, I can see that. But something like, you know, just your average rom-com, like The Photograph, that was just a, like, a rheumatic drama drama kind of thing, you know? So, but it was a black movie, you know, and I think that when we can, when we can get away from the qualifiers of black in front of things like the black community, black movies, it, it's truly an integration um, because it's everyone's community, it's everyone's art, it's it's not just for these people. They're not a separate community from you. It should be all of your community together. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like so, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. No, that's, that's, and that's, I mean, that's something that, um, that we and hopefully anyone listening can start getting into the habit of, habit of doing. 
Um, and I mean, that leads to the last big thing that I was going to say for, for us moving forward is I'm you know going to encourage people to continue calling us out, whether it's the show or on Twitter, if we say or do anything that's, um, that's wrong. That's just plain and simple wrong, whether, whether we mean it to be or not. Um, the, you know, very early on of us having the show and us having the Twitter account, I, I made a joke, um, that was meant to be making fun of, um, the, the differences between, uh, men and women when they're trying to, you know, win Oscars and things like that in the film industry, uh, but I did a lousy job of making making that joke, uh, if if it was even my joke to make, and I got called out on it pretty brutally, uh, and I made sure to thank every single person who called me out on it, um, because it was it was a wake up call, and uh, you know I hope that that anyone and everyone continues to do that because uh, that's how we get, you know, that's, that's one of the ways it's going to help. I, I cannot say I'm always going to be fully aware of what's coming out of my mouth. Even, even literally just to the point of using, I used the expression tone deaf a while back on Twitter. And it was pointed out to me that people in that community really hate that expression. So now I know and and I've worked I've been working to to not use that expression to so as to be an ally to to be someone who's helping instead of hurting so you know for for any and all reasons if there's something I'm I'm saying or or doing if you listen to the show or you read me on Twitter by all means call me out on it um, don't be afraid to call me out publicly for it yeah. too. Um, and, I'm ne I'm never going I'm never going to block somebody for letting me know that I crossed a line. Yeah, well, that's exactly that's exactly what I was going to say. You when when people brought that to you, brought that to your attention, you, you were met with two with with two options. You could have said like, "Oh fuck you," it was a joke, and shut them down like so many people. Mm -hmm you know, want to do and, or you can educate yourself and learn from it and learn why it affected people the way it did and, and you know, why it was wrong and why you could have chose to say it in a better way or, or, um, whatever it might've been, but you know, you chose the right option in that scenario. And I, it's just, it's on us to choose the right scenario every time and to encourage people to choose the right, the right option. Absolutely. Um, so, with with all that being said, let's uh, let's move forward from uh, into the the world of the struggles of the theater industry in the the world <laughs> of COVID nineteen. Um, oh gosh! <laughs> you know, because we like happy. We're we're here to, to bring <laughs> happiness and joy into people's hearts. Um, <laughs> so, 
first and foremost, I, I want to ask both of you guys, are, are either of you, in any circumstance, for any reason, going to any theaters now or in the foreseeable future? No. I will not until Titanic comes out. Not to, oh. <laughs> yeah, to, I'm going to hopefully learn how to time travel by then and go you, and see you, it when you I'm can, safe. You, you, can, you can ride this backwards and forwards in time, my friend. <laughs> um, for everyone listening, I just got the finger from, from Tom. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I had thought whenever theaters were talking about opening, and I still, to, um, to some extent, uh, believe this, but... I'm I'm much more comfortable with theaters opening than I am restaurants. I think theaters could do a bit, much better job of, you know, keeping it at a capacity where people are able to social distance. Um, you know, once you're in the theater, you shouldn't be doing a lot of talking. Sure, you're going to be consuming popcorn or soda or whatever, um, but I think they could do a much better job than, you know, at tables full in a restaurant and everyone you know, with their masks off the entire time, talking and conversing and eating and drinking, you know, yeah. from, from uh, basically open containers. Um, but yeah, no, it doesn't, it doesn't ease my mind to, to go into a theater right now. Um, so for me, for those of you who don't know, I am actually real life a germaphobe, like, like fully certified. And, um, <laughs> I, before this, um, just the day-to-day, it's kind of difficult when you're like that, but I had gotten to a point where I was like, okay, I can, I can suspend my belief and I can go on to the metro. I can, you know, eat out in restaurants and things like that. And then this happened and I was like, nope, nope, nope. Like I trained my whole life for this. I can keep us alive, everybody. I know what to do. I felt like the Hulk in Endgame. I was like, I was made for this. And then to see how careless people are in this country um, about flattening the curve and reducing the spread and everything, I, and knowing what I know about just the cleanliness of how well people clean up anyway, like everywhere has a sanitation grade and nobody has 100%, okay? So <laughs> that to me doesn't um secure my my like it doesn't ease me enough to depend on other people to do their job in order for me to be safe yeah. not until there's a way i can protect myself else with, like with a vaccine or something you know so yeah theaters for me are like a no <laughs> yeah and it's it's the same for me which is unfortunate because one it was my way of having like going out and having some me time um also and also the theater near me is showing some older films like right now I could go to the theater near me and watch the original Ghostbusters on a big screen which I've always wanted to do or I could go see the first Matrix on a big screen which I never got to do when it originally came out I saw the sequels never saw the original um oh no <laughs> that's a great consolation prize <laughs> so never been entertained but i have been confused um <laughs> so yeah it's it's really unfortunate and i know for you know alex you you've worked restaurants and and movie theaters so you're you're very knowledgeable about the the differences between both and how how that all works with what you were saying i i know for myself i've worked 
a bunch of different movie theaters and yeah, when when the majority of the money's coming in through the concession stand, that's the, making making things more sustainable through the concession stand, you know, through that because you're just needing to get even if you're only doing 100 people per theater to keep distancing if the majority of those people are spending $20 on popcorn, yeah. drinks, candy, that's still a good chunk of change coming in. Yeah. Um, plus I there's just not... look at it like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I was just going to say, plus there's not that turnover rush. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's like, it, okay, so I equate anywhere you have to go where the same person who is fixing your food is taking your money. Yeah. It's like, when you go to New York and you're really hungry and you don't want to do it, but then you have to, so you go to one of the hot dog stands and you're like, they don't even have a place to wash their hands, but I'm really hungry, so I'm going to eat a hot dog anyway. That is how I look at going out right now. Like, yeah. you just got to put a lot of trust in, like, not getting listeria or something, and I don't want to do that, so. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I equate a lot of it to um, just seeing, like, I... Even literally just seeing people wearing masks properly is such a big factor in where I'm willing to go. Um, yeah. Literally, the gas station that that's on the same street as me, they they thanked me the other day for wearing a mask because so many people who go in don't. And yeah. like, if they're thanking me for wearing a mask and they're always wearing masks when I go in there, I trust them hand you know handing them money and them handing me change. I trust them with that because. They're clearly, you know, they must be doing a lot of the steps. Um, if I could interject real quick, like I currently am the in the cafe lead at that uh, uh, gas station here in Pennsylvania, and it's linked to a it's linked to a very large um, uh, grocery store corporation. Okay. So, you know, we we are taking some some incredible precautions when it comes to COVID, you know, we don't like, we still have, you know, a hot hold for breakfast sandwiches and lunch items and things like that. And we've been required to, you know, pretzels say a couple months ago would have been in a container that would have been, you know, opened at the top and we have can put it in a completely sealed container. Um, and you know, to, to go to a movie theater, I don't know what, what precautions movie theaters are taking nowadays, but I would be terrified to walk through a busy movie theater lobby with the open the top of my popcorn exposed to people who may yes. be wearing masks yeah. and yeah. you know and I don't have a safeguard against that mm-hmm. um, and until I know what precautions are in place and can feel more at ease with you know ideally everyone wearing masks and mm-hmm the best sanitation practices they can they can afford to to be doing then mm-hmm. then it, it's not a risk that i'm willing to take at the moment yeah i mean i think after seeing outbreak at such a young age <laughs> that was the first thing i thought of when this happened i was like i'm never going to movie theater again i'm just not doing it <laughs> it's it's the continuation of the weird dichotomy of of people you know they see jaws and the shark dies they're scared to go in the water they see Psycho, he gets captured. People complain to Hitchcock that they're scared to take showers. Mm-hmm. People watch Planet of the Apes or Outbreak and learn nothing. 
I mean, in between Outbreak and Contagion, and Contagion, you cannot convince me otherwise. It is my strongest piece of evidence that time travel is real. And I know that somebody came from 2020 or like 2021 and went back to 2011 and wrote Contagion. <laughs> because it is exactly the same, except they tweaked it a little bit because they didn't want to freak us out now. <laughs> then they made it a day. Well, they were trying to stop this from happening, get people to wear their masks. So they said, okay, instead of saying that it was just like COVID, we're going to say that it's like it kills you in two days. We're going to make it the most dangerous thing. And people saw the movie and were like, eh, well, maybe I'm uh, Matt Damon, so I'm not going to wear my mask. <laughs> Every, everyone is convinced that they are, you know, Brad Pitt in World War Z, where they're, yeah. they've just got the natural immunity to everything. <laughs> yeah. Everyone I is... know for a fact that I'm the man that they ran by sitting out on the street who was just kind of <laughs> sick. And so they kept running past him anyway. <laughs> like... My my long-term goal, as you can tell from my, my facial hair, is to be Woody Harrelson in 2012. <laughs> I'm just gonna li- I'm just gonna live in the woods, going. Everyone else is an idiot. I I'm good. <laughs> I'll be wrong, but I'll think I'm good. <laughs> well, he was close. To, at least he wasn't freaking out about it. <laughs> um. But yeah. So. I mean, what in the long term do you guys? do you guys personally think is is going to help the the movie theater industry? Um, so for me, I, I personally, unfortunately, I mean, you look at, at the big states that are still not really following anything. You look at Florida had a 15,000 case jump. Like, this winter is going to be tough, too, um, because it's also naturally cold and flu season. And then you have... COVID that's still out right now until we have any vaccines. So I wouldn't be too excited that any openings that are occurring right now are for the long term um, yeah. for 2020. Um, so for me, I, I truly think it's when we're able to get this under control in this country and also have vaccines. But it, even before a vaccine, I think that people will be more comfortable with our curve. It's actually very, very low and it's not spreading because people are doing what they need to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, beyond what I know I've talked a little bit about on the show before, and, and you had mentioned, Nick, with, like, um, like drive throughs like, some movie theaters, like, uh, embracing and, and embracing the, the, the drive through di- dichotomy and design. Mm-hmm. Um, again, in my opinion, partner up with restaurants and, and to have them be your, your concession stand. To a, mm-hmm. to a certain extent um, I mean, to help each I other out but... take... oh. I'm sorry I feel like if they could take the concept of just like how right now you can get contactless delivery you could get that to your car while you're at a movie theater and they have times where okay at this time we're doing a big order, put your order we'll deliver it to your car, you know you're in yeah. space number A24 we'll deliver this order to space A24 that would be amazing yeah. um I, I love driving theater, so for those of you who don't know, I actually grew up in Cuba um, on base, and we had a drive driving theater. It's the only theater that we had for this thing, driving theater, and so that is um, a big part of 
my growing up is going to the drive-in theater, either taking your own snacks or, you know, having the confession you walk over to and, and watch on the big screen from your car. And I would love if that concept just, like, took off and it was, like, a really big thing again, as long as we could find a way to make it, like, green. Because, you know, idle sitting and emissions and things, that's bad. But, <laughs> you know, if we could figure out something, I think that that would be amazing. Like, and it's the best, because you can't hear anybody talking. Yeah. I think if, if there's one thing that I hope for drive-in theaters, it's, you know, there's there's actually a fair amount in in uh, in Pennsylvania, like Pittsburgh area, but there are so many of them are run down, and you know Riverside is like falling apart because it's a it's a niche thing. Like people don't frequent them as much as they do a traditional movie theater, um, and I feel like maybe if you know you know in some weird way maybe this is what they need to. Realize, like, hey, if we pump some money into this, this can be a sustainable thing. Like, this can be something to rival the theaters right now. Um, yeah. Especially because it's our, our only option. Yeah. Exactly. For sure. Like, I would love it so much. My dream is to own a movie theater. And so, like, to have a drive-in, that would be so, yeah. so good. Are we opening a movie theater, Zach? We'll open a movie theater together. Okay. <laughs> I'm on board. Yes. Yeah. We'll, yes. we'll make this happen. <laughs> And so, like you said, it's our only option right now. So if we could get people or a theater, whoever owns it, if they could, you know, I'm pretty sure if you put this on a Kickstarter, especially if you had put it on a Kickstarter in April, you would have a theater for the summer already, you know? Yeah. So I think that um, it's the only option and it's a good way to bring it back, make it so cool that even when it's not the only option, it's like a top choice, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think I think it's really going to boil down to what studios do. I think that's. I think it's going to boil down to that even more than anything else. Because one, I think right now, if studios studios could literally be out there investing money into drive-ins to get them yeah. cleaned up, to get them rebuilt, to get them weatherproofed, so that way, like ones in Pennsylvania might even be able to withstand the winter. Um, yeah. So that way you have that kind of an option. Um, and then, um, along with that, the other thing is, the, the, the other big factor in that is um, that, you know, there's the whole thing of, you know, studios get all the money from ticket sales for the first two weeks of a movie. And then it goes up to like 20%. They 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 keep twenty percent of it, give or take, or they give twenty percent of it to the to the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think until twenty twenty two, at least, mm-hmm. they need to go down to we'll keep one week's worth. The first, you know, we'll keep just the opening week, mm-hmm. and negotiate a more uh, a more profitable percentage for the theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, the the one thing that a lot of people have been talking about is that this might the the good thing that might come out of this is that we might start seeing 
studios care more about longevity instead of just opening weekend yeah. numbers again, yeah. which we desperately need. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's what's really going to like the people that are sick of um, these tentpole franchises running the 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 theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, and keeping smaller films out, that's getting rid of that is how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because once you know, once they're caring about the long view and not just that big opening weekend, they're going to be a little more willing to share space. They're going to be a, mm-hmm. they're going to be more willing, and those indie films are going to be able to be looked at as more financially successful right out the gate instead of having to look back on them and go, oh, actually, this movie did make back its money and then some, even though at the time mm-hmm. we all thought it was a flop. Right. Yeah. Right. I think, too, that's just a part of... Uh, it, we live in a society where it's not just film Twitter, it's just people in general where people want to be first. They don't yeah. care if they're right, they don't care if they offer anything uh, unique, or they just want to be first. I was the first person to cover this movie. I was the first person to say it was an instant classic. I was the first person to call it a flop. They just want to be first. And so they put out things, and they're like, oh, this is so terrible, it was so bad, and blah, blah, blah. And people read it, and then everybody else group thinks, and then they all think it's terrible, too. And you're, like, sitting on the side, like, actually, you know, guys, this movie wasn't that bad. It was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm over here by myself on an island. And, and now I think theaters are t- starting to catch on to, or they had caught on it starting a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm going to put this out. doesn't really matter if it's good or not. If I make it look blow-uppy enough, people are going to see it. <laughs> and they're going to write about it. And whether they write good or bad, people are going to write about it and then other people are going to go see it. You know? Yeah. Well, and if they continue to properly market a film that's in theaters past the opening weekend even if it doesn't have, like, number one movie in America right now to, mm-hmm. to add to its name. Because, like, I still remember um, even just, like, 12 years ago, give or take, when you would you would see actors and filmmakers going on talk shows to talk about their movie that came out a week ago or two weeks mm-hmm. ago. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I still, the, the big one that always comes to mind is when Tenacious D had their Pick a Destiny movie. I, st- <laughs> I still, I still remember them going on the Daily Show like a week after the movie came out and they just went mm-hmm. and they were asked if they had a clip and they went, well, nobody went to go see the movie and we kept giving them clips. So we didn't bring a clip. We're trying something different. <laughs> you know, like, we just, you're just gonna have to listen to us talk about the movie. We're not going to show you any of it now. But... I think as much as as much as I hate the circumstances, we have the possibility of this whole situation uh, creating an, uh, creating a potential chance for an equilibrium in the industry. Well, movies, <laughs> movies, business. You had you had brought that up in. in of course it makes sense you know the studios need to pay back the theaters that have been showing their films because you know if the theaters close down they don't have that premiere box, box office experience where mm-hmm. the studios stand to make the most money at the you know um, opening weekend or, or the first first couple weeks yeah. um, 
I think it also, like, we have the chance to, like I was talking about with revitalizing drive-in theaters, you know, we might not, like, run out to go see Tenet, but there's, you know, plenty of people who will, and there's plenty of people who would go out to see films if they were released strictly to, to drive-ins right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You, you, I don't think necessarily we need to postpone everything um, that is not able to be released to theaters right now if it's able to be released to drive-in theaters and mm-hmm. find an audience. Yeah. Well, there's like, um, what is it, St. Maud, I think is the name of that movie? Um, and it's like the, it's one of the indie darlings that's, that's kind of living there. I see no reason with, with not releasing it in theaters right now. Um, it's a movie that unfortunately would not necessarily have a gigantic audience right out the gate, but it would give it a chance to be seen by more people, um, before bigger films come out. And... Studios, I mean, studios in all reality need to be investing in movie theaters right now, especially ones like A24, mm-hmm. because if, God forbid, this was the end of the, the movie theater altogether, if it's just streaming services, they might still do a couple of like first-look deals with some with some famous directors and actors, mm-hmm. but they're going to have a type of monopoly that will keep any indie studio from ever being able to get a film put onto those streaming services, mm-hmm. at least with yeah. anyone noticing it, and it'll just disappear to the point where you'll look at it and not even realize it came out that week. But then yeah. that you have to start like indie flicks, and you have a streaming platform for only indie movies. Yeah. <laughs> because that's what will probably be born. It's just another streaming service that that we don't necessarily want, but maybe we need. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully it's not the end of movie theaters. But um, I hope. I also hope that in in this kind of era and this downtime, that studios kind of see like um, that they see kind of like the way that they've been doing business, such as, like you said, these big temple franchises and, and things like that. But then just other ways that they put movies in the theater and if it's not doing a number by, like, day 10, they pull it before you even get a chance to go and see it, you know, things like that, that they see, like, you know, people people want to consume the content. It's just, it's got to be there. Like, you can't yeah. pull something just because it didn't blow up. It didn't become viral, you know, very quickly or whatever. Yeah, we, li- we live in an era where most people either work a full-time job that's more like a full-time and a half job or they work multiple part or they work multiple part-time jobs just going like dropping everything to go see a movie in its opening week is easier said than done in this day and age right and there's definitely a need to to acknowledge that fact so going going from that in a similar suit there is uh the Oscar rule change this year of, you know, being a little bit more lenient to, to streaming services. Um, I mean, do we honestly even think there's going to be an Oscars? Uh, I think it depends on how flu season goes. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think you know, there's <laughs> the potential, but uh, you know, Trolls Trolls World Tour is going to win everything if that's if that's the case. Well, it's gonna ha- <laughs> it's gonna have a fighting chance against Sonic the Hedgehog and the Invisible Man. Those three movies yeah. are going to sweep this year. Um, yeah, don't forget Birds of Prey. Oh yeah. It's even... that, get, that went to the theater too, yeah. So that one was good. Yeah. I... And what's that? Did Little Women come out this year or did it come out last year? Technically. It was technically last year because I believe it was okay. in the awards season last year. Oh, yeah, it was. I, Cause... I never know because I hate that movie. So. Oh, yeah, because people, yeah, people were saying they wanted Laura Dern nominated for Little Women instead of yeah, Marriage right, Story, yeah. like she had been nominated yeah. for. Um, I mean, I'm still personally of the mind that. The only reason the the Academy Awards have any prestige is because they said they did, and we all went okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I I 100% believe that if the entire industry just looked just looked at them and said, "Yeah, we're, we're done with you," they'd be they they'd just be gone. Like if the, if the industry if the industry stops caring about the Academy, the Academy would be over because they don't hold anything over the industry. They don't control how anything happens. They they just exist. Yeah. They're, They're just... like a bunch of mean girls who came around and was like, we're going to judge your outfits. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh my gosh, now I have to wear the best outfit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah, every single, every single year, the best picture winner is really them just declaring what's hip, what's in, things like that. Um, Cause that, like at this point to me, that's what, that's all that the Academy, the Academy Awards really does is it helps like put the, put the final say in things like we got the, we got the indie boom and the decline, the slow death of 3D when the Hurt Locker beat Avatar for best picture. Mm -hmm. And it's because that happened. You know, the movie the movie that made the least amount of any other movie nominated that year for Best Picture won Best Picture. And, you know, it's we're what, twelve years give or take from that moment happening, and it's you know, now now there's a gigantic battle for the for the safety of the indie film market because We've had the rise of studios like A24, Lionsgate turning into more of a major studio from being an indie darling. Um, so, like, to me, that's the big thing with, with the Academy. I I don't really... I, I don't disagree fully with their eliminating the streaming service thing. Um, I see both sides of the argument... But it's it's the traditional issue of Hollywood not being fully in touch with mm-hmm. with the change of changes of the world. So it's kind of like the writers' strike that happened in oh eight oh nine when web webisodes for shows were becoming big and they didn't know how to pay the writers for it, so they just opted not to until the writers. Got mad, got understandably mad about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just technology changes and advances, and they don't look at the trend that's coming up and figure out what to do with it. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I never really. So the, my thing with the academy, um, and so and even the streaming thing is, 
one, I, I take it all with a grain of salt. I really watch for the outfits. If you watch my tweets, I'm so much more excited for the outfits than I am for any of the awards show. Um, <laughs> like, that's just, red carpet is it. And then I'm like, okay, yeah, great. I probably don't know most of these people anyway. Um, and so, like, so for me, watching the show was never really, okay, I, I should like this movie because it's an Academy movie. I realize I actually have a bit of resentment for movies that I feel are just trying to get nominated for awards. And I hate them. I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. I hate it. It's soulless. Like, it's very, you know, you can see it. Yep. And so, you know, I ended up hating those. But I think, like, for the um, streaming part of it, the thing that I've never really understood about why they didn't, you know, want to acknowledge them is, it's supposed to be a celebration of the industry and a film. And no one says that a film is a film just because it went to the movie theater, you know? And so if people know it, if people like it, or if people are excited about it and talking about it, I don't see why it can't be up for an award. Does it make it less of a movie? You know, it's still a movie. So as long as it follows the guidelines of what qualifies as far as time and things like that, I don't know. I just never really... It just seemed like a barrier to entry, if I if I can put it that way. So I just didn't really like it. I, th- I just think it's the film industry seeing what happened with television and getting scared. You know, starting with starting with House of Cards, you started seeing streaming services winning Emmys and Gold yeah. Globes, and I think they got scared, so they wanted to kind of block them from stepping into the Academy turf as well. Um, but then, you know that you know they forgot about loopholes, and those loopholes started getting worked through, and next thing you know, you've got. Netflix films that are going up for Best Picture, that are mm-hmm. you know going up for this, going up for that, and it's it's changing things in a in a big way and in a good way. Um, yeah. Well, I think this this year in particular, that you know, certain concessions have to be made um, because I think it gives it it tears down barriers. Or films that with smaller budgets, with smaller um, marketing marketing budgets, to that have to go directly to streaming, that have to you know premiere on VOD, mm-hmm. to have that chance to be part of a bigger conversation. Um, you know, this is this has kind of been a you know a tangent in a different different vein. But like, I don't know if we've talked about it on on our show, but like even to see talk show hosts adapt so quickly. Um, when a work from home order was was put in place, you know, some of them most talk show hosts, yeah, some of them, but like, you know, a fair a fair number of them, relatively, you know, without a hitch, like, just started streaming from home. You know, it's it's a lot of Stephen Colbert on Zoom calls with you know his special guests and mm-hmm. um, you know musical performers performing from from their living room. Um, you know, I, I think that that extends to different areas. You know, everyone's had to adapt in some form or fashion, and this is just another example of that. Yeah. I, don't, I kind of feel like even though it it gives smaller films a chance, once you have someone like the Academy being like, no, you can definitely be considered if you're on streaming, it's like a wink, wink, we're still going to pick the same film. We're going to pick that they were in the theater anyway. So, well, yeah. you know, it's definitely not, 
it's not going to be as transparent as it seems. So it'd be great if that if that was just a standing thing, though, because then I think truly those films would get brought to the conversation because the big films would be in the theaters. And then, oh, what what's streaming that could be considered now? We can get a really good film that had a low budget that could actually be considered something, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, and I, I think as we continue to get uh, movies like The Five Bloods, Roma, and um, totally spacious, um, Honey Boy, mm-hmm. uh, so many of these movies that clearly couldn't find a studio that was willing to commit to them or even just distribute them, and then they found a streaming service that was more than willing to, and and it, it benefit you know it paid off for them because it's. To a certain extent, it's got to be less stress because you don't have to worry about that opening box office. Yeah. So. Well, don't forget about Artemis Fowl. It can finally be part of the, that Oscar conversation. Oh, I'm sorry, what movie? <laughs> Artemis Fowl. The, the uh, Josh Gab with, an unhin- with, with no hinge to his jaw movie? <laughs> I still haven't seen it. Oh, I haven't either. <laughs> constantly moving in a house with no AC. I don't have time for things like watching movies. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna move us forward here. I'm gonna move us a little further forward um, so that way we can have some, some lighter discussions, some more fun. Um, <laughs> there were, there was some news in the, uh, the film industry that Nick wanted us to, uh, to make sure that we were calling attention to the first one being Hulk Hogan biopics. Oh yeah. Not one, but two that are currently in the works. Wait, two are in the works? Who listened to my prayers at night and answered them this way? What? Snap into a slim gym. Like that's all that I hope comes back to TV. Yeah. Is those commercials. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Hulk Hogan so much when I was a kid. Like you don't even understand. I didn't even like wrestling, but I loved Hulk Hogan, Brett, the Hitman Heart, and the Undertaker. Like <laughs> love those three. And so for me, like I never, I never watched wrestling, but I played Royal Rumble on the console. Mm-hmm. So. That was like my game. It's like, oh, you want to play Royal Rumble? Let's go. <laughs> mine, mine was WWE NWO uh, Revenge. I think was what okay. it was called for the N sixty four. Do the sixty <laughs> do the sixty four character battle royale where you're not allowed out of the ring. Yes. My friend, my friends, and I would just play to see how long we'd survive. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, if you if you if you love Hulk Hogan, then I apologize if you sat through our No Holds Barred episode. I don't have like a personal connection, but like I'm really excited about these movies. Like I'm gonna dress up and everything. Like you guys don't even know. Like it's gonna be on. Like going in. I am I am so excited for these movies now, just for that reason. So. Yeah, so they've got two coming out. They've got one that's uh, going to be directed, at least as of right now, by Francis Lawrence, the director of the, all the Hunger Games sequels and Red Sparrow. Um, that one's going to be speci- focused specifically on the uh, Hulk Hogan dealing with that website Gawker. 
gosh. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a really good documentary about the whole thing, but okay. Um, but that's in that's in talks. I I couldn't find any names of of actors attached to it. Um, but then there's another one directed by Todd Phillips of Joker infamy at this point and um and as of right now is supposed to star Chris Hemsworth which everything about that combination fascinates me because the the, the Todd Phillips one I don't know if it's going to be like a a his life biopic or because I mean I mean Todd Phillips is definitely I dare say, when Todd Phillips makes this movie about Hulk Hogan, we need to give him the Best Directing Actor, or Best Director Oscar, mm-hmm. solely for the reason that I, he's done, he's done, like, gritty, you know, like, gritty, take a super chance movie, now he's doing biopic, next he's gonna do a World War II movie. God forbid he does a World War II Holocaust movie. I do not want Todd Phillips near one of those, so if we just give him the Oscar, maybe he'll stop. This is this is the career path of a man who has gotten the taste of award season accolades and is now driven by it. He's like, I will do whatever it takes. Oh, musicals are in? You just wait. It's, I got something for you. Yeah. Oh God! I don't even want to know what musical you would give Todd Phillips. That's the World War II Holocaust movie. You're oh, right! Yeah. It's a musical. Yeah. A musical. <laughs> oh, God. It's three things in one. I'm oh. That one. <laughs> oh, my soul hurts right now so much. I can't even imagine, but yeah, that's that's the movie right there. Yep. So, so Academy, if you're listening, if you really want to make a change in your industry. Don't let this this musical movie happen. <laughs> Give it to them now. <laughs> Just save us all. Um, I mean, depending on who they get to play Hulk Hogan in the Francis Lawrence one, I'm genuinely interested in that. I'm trying to think because Chris, when I think of actors who are big, who would play Hulk Hogan, Chris Hemsworth, I can see that. He's still two inches shorter than Hulk Hogan was in his prime. Um, and smaller. Yeah, I know about my Hulk Hogan. I told you guys. <laughs> <And> smaller. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's going to play him, but he's already done this really weird, growly, Southern American voice in, like, two military movies. So I feel like he had, he could do the accent, you know, fine and all that. But then, on the other hand, somebody else who's, like, big enough but probably couldn't play it, Dave Batista. He's big. He's. I'm trying to think of like just big actors. You know what? Maybe the dude from Creed too. He's big. <laughs> it kind of looks like he could be a young Hulk Hogan. I mean, that's for... interesting that you said Dave Bautista. It would it would be interesting to have someone with a with a WWE background. Right. Yeah. That's why I thought about. Him. Yeah. Play that, play that role. I mean, for the for the one specifically about Gawker, where where it's it stays exclusive to a specific age for him, mm-hmm. I would I honestly, if I had to pick someone, I'd be interested in seeing Ron Perlman play the role. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Like it wouldn't be one of those like 
spitting image performances because I'm pretty sure he still has the attitude of unless it's Hellboy 3 don't put any prosthetics on me I'm done doing that um, which by the way give us Hellboy 3 you owe us after the last one universe um, but I mean in terms of like the performance the voice the, I, I think he could I think he could really do it and I think it'd be something really fun yeah. Um, he might be too old. Never mind. Okay. No, no, I, no. Now I, I need to know now. I was gonna say the dude. It's his name, Dean Norris. Um, he, I, you know, I just watched Breaking Bad. Um, so he was the brother-in-law. Oh yeah, Dean Norris. Yeah, Dean, Dean Norris. Norris. Yeah, I was just thinking if they like just put a bandana and a beard, a mustache on him, <laughs> No, you're not wrong. If, especially if we're talking about the the one that's specifically yeah. just about the Gawker the, stuff. The Gawker one, yeah. He's he's in the age range for that. Yeah, so um, I was thinking he would probably be good. I mean, because you know, I mean, as long as you have his like iconic, like his iconic kind of thing about him, yeah, it's not really hard to. Be Hulk Hogan. I, I fully intend on being Hulk Hogan when I go and see this movie. Well, and he's tanned well, enough that we're like the same complexion, so it works out. <laughs> like, it works out. Like, I'm 100% going to be Hulk Hogan in the Slim Jim outfit specifically. <laughs> like, that is, I'm excited about this. <laughs> I, I need these movies to happen just so that way you can be flooding Twitter. <laughs> For like three months, with like, which one? Which one do you guys think is better? This bandana or this bandana? Which right. one's better? <laughs> no, be- I'm gonna have like so many wrestling people that are like, I thought this was a wrestling Twitter. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not a wrestling Twitter. <laughs> this is something completely different. <laughs> um, so. Nick brought one more thing to the table that she really wanted us to talk about. And really, with our show, it was inevitable that we were going to talk about it anyway. Yeah. And uh, that is the fact that Fast and Furious 9 is apparently going to space. <laughs> well, well, not literally. This isn't a Tom Cruise situation. Oh, well, yeah. No, they're not going to literally go film a movie in space. Um, I mean, given the the way physics have worked in these films since like the fifth one, I I just assumed they were on a different planet. Well, no, I just assumed that you know how you know in cartoons, <laughs> you know in cartoons, it's like a clip and like it goes straight down and goes up like this, like use up. So it's like this. That's how they're gonna take the car to space. It's just gonna go down a ramp. What's, <laughs> what's gonna what's probably what I my my theory right now um because I just love I, I I've loved this idea ever since the writer of I think the seventh or the eighth one in interviews went yeah they're probably gonna end up going into space at some point I mean it's the logical conclusion um <laughs> but at, at this point trying to like predict the world because it's it's John Cena is playing the the villain in this one right the Vin Diesel's brother or whatever yeah all all I remember from that trailer is apparently vines have the 
have enough tensile strength to swing an entire car with people in it <laughs> around a cliff. Um, that's that's all I remember from the trailer. I don't think they wanted me to remember anything else. I think that's all they want me to remember. My theory at this point is he's going to let Charlie Theron out and her big secret hideout that they have to go to is in space. <laughs> and so Kurt Russell is going to strap them all into a rocket at the end of the movie and shoot them into space. Oh my goodness. And that's like, I, just, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm so, <laughs> I'm so excited. Maybe aliens crash land on the planet and they steal a spaceship <laughs> to save the planet. So like it becomes... Like Fast and the Furious Men in Black. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's going to become something. Will Smith makes an appearance like he did an Anchorman. And I, like, I am, it's just, it's going to be amazing. I am convinced that if, pe- that if you had a theater full of Fast and Furious fans watching the new movie, and at any point in the movie, Will Smith just showed up, even even if literally it was like they didn't real he didn't realize he was walking onto a live set and so he's just in the back room background for like a half second with a big gulp realizes and closes the door again. Even if it's that short a time span, every head in the theater will explode. Oh yeah, for sure. Because at some point I stopped watching so I'm one of those people who watches Fast and the Furious and I don't think that I've liked any movie <laughs> since the first one, but I still watch it and there's a part of me inside that is literally going to watch to see what can a car do now? <laughs> like, that's all that's like, what can a car Fast do? Furious 10, what can a car do now? Right. <laughs> that is the official title. <laughs> because they're like, it's A Quiet Place Part 2. And I sat there watching the trailer going, everyone is taught, like, there's been more talking in this trailer than the entire last movie, and I'm supposed to think yeah. of this as also A Quiet Place? They're all dead. <laughs> well, maybe that's why they didn't call it A Quieter Place, because they no longer have to be quiet. They're being louder. Because yeah. they know how to kill the people. So they need to draw them out to, to um, play the sound when AOL tries to log on. Maybe. And then that kills them. <laughs> because I'm... isn't that the death of all of us when you heard that loud screeching? <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> I'm uh 
yeah, I'm st I, I'm still the my as much as I love uh, Alex and I are our friend and former coworker. Uh, his his dream title for the tenth Fast and Furious is Fast Ten Year Seatbelt. <laughs> um, oh my goodness! That's at this point. I I literally want it to be called Fast and Furious 10, and then right underneath it, I just want the shrugging emoji. <laughs> I just that's I want I want that to be the title for the movie because it's like Fast literally that, or it just says why not. Fast and Furious 10. Wow, really? <laughs> like that could also be it because who thought after after at least the second one? The second was pretty terrible. Who thought that we'd be at nine right now? You know, low key, I'm proud. I'm proud that we made it this far. <laughs> I'm well, and it's. I mean, it speaks to the the need for. It speaks to how bad the mummy was, basically. <laughs> <laughs> if if I think if the mummy had been good and they didn't have to deal with Vin, it meant they didn't have to deal with Vin Diesel anymore making monster movies up the wazoo. <laughs> I think they would have ended it. But then, but then, literally, the first trailer for the Mummy went out, and they watched everyone's reaction and just went. Called in. That Mummy. The Tom Cruise the Mummy. mummy? Oh, everybody hates that movie, but I low key love it. It's... <laughs> I do because I really like the Jekyll and Hyde scene, and I really wanted that to be its own movie, and it's not going to be now. And I'm but I think that's part of the problem is that like casting Russell Crowe as Jekyll and Hyde is awesome. Right. It's on the nose, but it's awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um and so that's the problem is like the movie the movie you're watching comes to a screeching halt so <laughs> you can get teased by a much better movie that you right. aren't going to watch. And yeah. that you'll never see because people wouldn't just let the movie be. And I was like, come on, guys, shut up, or they're not going to make the good movie. <laughs> and I was just like, they gave you a scene of Jekyll and Hyde, which was low key, like really just footage from the night he didn't win the Oscar for Gladiator in his room by himself. And I just wanted the whole thing. Like, I just wanted the whole thing. That, yeah. It, I, I wanted to see that one. They also, I mean, it's it's another it's another thing. The monster, un, the whole dark universe thing, is it also another thing that fell victim to the uh, to this whole he said she see she said nightmare that has been the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing because it was at the time where we believed everything that she was telling us. And they mm -hmm. had, and they had already announced that he was going to be the Invisible Man, yeah. and it was, it was right, like, it was right around the time where there weren't a lot of people that you could say was a worse option to tell people, hey, he's invisible and you can't see him coming. <laughs> we had, we hadn't had, we hadn't really had the Me Too movement. In full force yet, so mm -hmm. you couldn't be like, "Well, we've got a laundry list of people that mm -hmm. that you wouldn't want." Um, we have 
Johnny Depp and Bill Cosby, and Cosby already did it. <laughs> Ghost Dad. So we already we already did the worst case scenario with him. So we we're kind of stuck with Depp. Right, right. No, that's and that's so true. So it's like you know, I, a lot of movies have suffered from having really good ideas for a greater franchise and then somewhere along the way they hit a bump and so the rest of the movies never got made or whatever and that's honestly that's why I'm really thankful for the MCU because they pulled it off over all this time Um, because for better whatever you think about them being amusement park movies or not good or whatever like they really completed a story which we don't always get I mean we've never technically had Except for the first time, we've never gotten again a third Spider-Man movie. And it seems yep. like the universe is conspiring to not get us this one. <laughs> the last. He's, he keeps swearing he's a go- going to be starting production on any day now. Um, he's been about to be in production for it for about three months now. Right. So um, it's like, you know, it's hard to complete to complete franchises. Like we had a good run with the Twilights, with the Hunger Games. Um, Divergent, that one got shut down, so that was just... Mm-mm. <laughs> well, we had, we had hit we had hit our limit on that formula, and I mean, yeah. Divergent, like it or hate it, it really suffered from being one part the Hunger Games franchise you've already watched, and one part the Maze Runner franchise you've already watched. Yeah, we were we were really tired with young adult novels being made into movies at that point with. Everything yeah. from Percy Jackson to Hunger Games to Divergent to. Twilight. Well, really, Percy Jackson would have been fine if they just done better adaptions. Yeah. The casting was great, but yeah, the well, adaptions were... Mm-hmm. Yep. But we know Twilight is the best of them all, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to watch in a drive-in theater. <laughs> hey, they're, I think they're all on Amazon Prime right now. Oh, I own them all. <laughs> I figured I'm, <laughs> I'm letting, I'm letting <laughs> Alex know. <laughs> support that there's like so two things that are always on my mind when it comes to movies that are like offbeat are background actors that i love and just wish that there was a a, an award at the academy for best background performance like that is the one that i think other than stuntmen i really think that background performer deserves a shine because there are times where i've just been so impressed by what was going on in the background that i had to rewind a movie so You know, that, and then the other one is, you know, parts of movies that I wish that they pulled out for its own thing. And, you know, I say it as a joke, but yeah, like you said, like the Beatles, there's been different um, side stories or flashbacks that have happened in movies. And I'm like, that's actually a funnier concept. They should make that the movie, you know, things like that. So it'd be great. It'd be great if, if in Dark Universe we ever got our Jekyll and Hyde. Or unfortunately. We're getting our Wolfman movie with the director of Invisible Man. Oh, Lee Winnell. Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling's going to be a werewolf. That's what I had heard. 
Yes, Ryan Gosling as the Wolfman, directed by Lee Winnell. Okay. Because um, not okay. just James Wan is. Gotten, what you say? Gotten, not, just... not just James Wan has gotten to enjoy success from from Saw. It's fortunately, also been Lee Winnell who co-wrote that film. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I I would like to see that. I can see Ryan Gosling as a werewolf. I I would have went with somebody like Joe Magniello, and I know he played him with True Blood, but gosh, I love to see him as a werewolf. Um, <laughs> 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 Sorry, I just had like a whole tangent. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but he like uh like yeah, I wouldn't have if you had told me, Oh, who do you think they'll cast for this werewolf movie, I probably would have never brought up Ryan Gosling's name, yeah, but well, that's yeah. interesting. It's the opposite problem of Lon Chaney Junior where Lon Chaney Junior is like chewing every, you know, the scenery and, and being ridiculous in every scene that he's in, you know, Ryan Gosling is just going to be stoic and quiet the entire film. Mm-hmm. The, like we're <laughs> the, the movie is going to be, we see some woman like screaming in fear at the, at the wolf man in front of her. And then we cut to like, a you know, somebody running in like, are you okay? Yeah. He's just been staring st- sad at the moon. Yeah. I don't even think he knows I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> We get to hear his inner monologue as a werewolf. Like, he'll just hear the, the, my urge is to howl, but I know I'm better than that. Like, that's, that's just what we get for this movie. I wonder so if I wonder if as a, as a wolf man, I can play some Dixieland jazz. <laughs> I did invent jazz. I watched the opening scene and immediately just went nope I I grew up on I grew up on too many good musicals to watch this one <laughs> it was a lot it was a lot but yeah so thank you for giving me that piece of information I'm gonna have to look that up about Wolfman but you know I I would hope that at some point especially I, I feel like this is an opportunity for movies to movie uh, production studios to reset so like Maybe now you can do a dark universe. Just ignore all that because people are just going to be happy to have movies again. So, like, put out a good one this time. So, yeah. Well, yeah. the thing and the thing with and I I talked about it. I think on our Endgame episode, maybe on a different one. Uh, but the thing with with the MCU that I think made it work that that others have struggled with is it blends the format of film with the TV format. Because, like, Avengers Endgame is like watching a series finale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's absolutely... You absolutely feel like you're watching a series finale. You know, you've got... You know, they always had the list of, like, oh, here are the movies you really should watch before you watch Avengers Endgame. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, those lists that, like, people at the same time were making. Here are the episodes of Game of Thrones you can watch and you can skip the other ones because they don't really matter. Um, Mm -hmm. And people were doing the same with Marvel. It had that same mentality to it, and I think that's what's needed uh, Mm -hmm. that that everyone else is is failing so much on is they're not embracing, 
like a TV episodic mentality to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for better or for worse, whether you like them or not, I think that a good a a good three one two three four part movie within the same universe was the M Night Shyamalan ones that happened over what twenty years or so, like with Split and with uh, Glass and Unbreakable. Unbreakable, you know. It's so, like, those movies, I think that at least the story was cohesive, and people were like, okay, look, maybe I didn't love it, but also I want to know what happens in the end. So, you know, so I'm, you went and, and you saw it. Yeah, I'm still curious what the original version of the trilogy was mm-hmm. back when he made Unbreakable. I'd still like to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do give him props for he was getting a little bit of that fame back, getting a little bit of that notoriety back. And so he immediately just went, well, I'm going to use that to finally finish this project that I started years ago and didn't get to finish Mm because nobody watched it. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still waiting for him to make a sequel to his staying awake movie, Rosie O'Donnell. That's, that's what I'm waiting for. There's, there, yours, yours. there's some tedious IMD beam for you guys to do. I'm going to have to at this point. I'm like, wait, what? what? Um, yeah, no, I, I like M. Night Shyamalan. Like, I think I talked about this with, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say yet because he hasn't promoted the episode, but I was on another podcast and we were talking about movies and that we love that other people just kind of rag on. I was like, everybody knows I love Twilight, and they hate it. And I'm like, I don't care. I will defend it to the death. Like, I love Twilight, whatever. And I mentioned M. Night Shyamalan. Like, I just, I said, I think that he just suffered from having a really, really good first movie to where it was just hard for him to live up to that again. So anything else with the twist, people just, like, hate it, even if it wasn't as bad as they said. Like, granted, some of them are really bad. But then not all of them are really bad, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> he, gets, he gets judged on the plot twist, not mm-hmm. on the movie as a whole. Exactly. Uh, like, I still, I, I still live in the, uh, the, the realm of belief of um, signs, they're not aliens, they're demons. I still, live in, I still live in that film theory. Wait, what? They're not aliens? The, there's a film theory that they're not actually aliens, they're demons. They manifest, because they manifest themselves as what people are scared of. Okay. Um, and the reason that they are so susceptible to that water, that his daughter always had him, like, basically uh-huh. bless the water. So it was all holy water that was all over the house. So they got holy water on them. I'd have to go back and really reread the theory. I know. (laughs) I'd have to go back and reread the theory, but I've literally rewatched the movie with that mindset, and the movie is so... Like, the movie's not bad to begin with, but the movie gets so much better. Okay, please send me the theory, because this is, like, my favorite thing, is when there's a theory and then rewatching the movie. Um, Oh, oh, yeah, that would be so good. Like, so many people have told me theories, and then I went back and watched movies, and I'm like... Mm. This movie's even I like the even more. <laughs> oh, my my favorite theory of all time is that uh, Fight Club is uh-huh. about adult Calvin and Hobbes. Ah. That is my favorite. That I someone sent that to me when I was 
in high school because it was someone's like some psychology students um final thesis it was like a 20 page paper about how that movie about how that movie is just them grown up because he was like the first time you see brad pitt's character he's wearing the tiger coat Uh and stuff like that and it's just go and it's this whole thing i was reading like i'm sitting there reading it going okay if I was the person who, who, if I was Chuck, who who mm-hmm. wrote the original Fight Club, I would totally just claim that this is what I would. Exactly. I would. I I would absolutely be like, oh yeah, to- totally, yeah, yeah. That's 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 totally what I was doing. You figured it out. Good job. I didn't think I had to say it, but I'm glad he did. <laughs> I think I really like uh, the Willy Wonka Snowpiercer one. That's one of my favorites. And then that Snowpiercer is the sequel for Willy Wonka. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that yeah. one's really good. Um, that one. And then, okay, so I have watched A Marriage Story. Is that what it's called? Marriage Story, A Marriage Story, the one that was really popular? Yeah. Uh, I was, watched that and I was like, I, I was like, okay, whatever. It's, you know, it's a movie. And so. Then I had tweeted about it, and I was like, hey, you guys, nobody ever really addressed how Adam Driver made it to the hospital after he stabbed himself, basically, or, like, cut his wrist, whatever he did. I was like, no, I didn't know how he made it to the hospital. He was just fine, and he wasn't even wearing, like, a bandage, really, or anything. And somebody tweeted me and said, the second half of the movie, he's dead already. In the second half of the movie, it's just how he's living it out in the afterlife. And I was like, what? And they were like, yeah, that's why it has a happy ending and things were, that's why he was singing Being Alive and all this. Mm-hmm. And somebody sent me a theory and I was like, okay, now I get what the critics were saying. Now I like this movie. <laughs> like, oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it more so much more morbid because his kid is upstairs. Right? That's why I'm like, did the kid find him? Like, nobody ever talked about, like, he passed out and he was bleeding to death. Like, literally. And then the next day, it's just like, oh, hey, what's up? Yeah, you know, they came and did a visit. It's like, um, you almost died, sir. You want to talk about that part? Just a quick little, quick little talk. Quick little chat. <laughs> and she didn't even know about him being I cut myself, but I had plenty of time to use the rug doctor, so there was no trace of it. Right. Okay. Well, Nick. All right, Tom, you gotta get us on track. Yeah. Nick, I wanna, Nick, I wanna thank you so much for uh, for coming on today. I'm I'm glad that we could have have a little bit more fun, have a little lighter here at the at the end. Um, can you tell all the good people where they can find you, where they can listen to your show? Yeah, so Black Girls Do Stuff 2 is available everywhere you listen to podcasts. We promote Spotify most heavily, but listen to it anywhere. We'll take the listens. It's all good. Um, you can also find us on social media. We're Black Girls Do Stuff 2 on Instagram and YouTube, blackgirlsdostuff2.tumblr.com. And then on Twitter, where we're most active, we are actually BLK Girls Do Stuff. Excellent. And yeah, if, if for some reason you listen to the show and you aren't already listening to theirs or following them on Twitter, you really need to make sure that you are because it's just, it's fantastic stuff at all times. Uh, oh, thank just you. Con- constant quality. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and with us guys, you know, you can you can follow us at Movies Work on Twitter. Uh, it's usually me on there rambling and ranting, just as a heads up. Uh, moviesafterwork at gmail.com if you need to uh, tell me something that takes longer than 140 characters. Um, or you just want to make sure I just stick the landing with it. Um, and then, of course, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the uh, places that you can listen to the podcast. And since you're listening to it right now, you seem to find it okay. So, congratulations to that. Uh, so, uh, again, Nick, thank you so much. Thank um, you for having me. I'm sorry I was a derailer at the end. No, no. That's, we would have done that on our own. That's our show. <laughs> that's, that's how we do it. That's how we do it here. Tangents. Um, yeah, we will We will definitely be figuring out uh, bringing you back here in the near future. Clearly, um, we should figure out something television-related to, to bring you back for so we can get you to, to, to wax television with us a little bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll be working our hardest to, to return to form, return to, uh, to bringing you hopefully some good laughs and some, some ideas for some fun stuff to watch or think about or whatnot, what have you here in the, uh, the foreseeable future, some more guest stars to make us sound better than we actually are as usual. So as always, guys, I'm Thomas Green. I'm Alex Duez. Stay safe. Have a good day at work. Bye. Thank you guys. Good luck.